Whatever it is you want to do in life, you'll be able to do. It's always you versus you. That it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, you can achieve anything that you set your mind to. Spend the rest of your natural life waking up and going after it. This is my purpose, and you will not stop me. You are listening to Mojo Sports. So hello Mojo Sports fans, welcome to the In Focus show. I'm one of your hosts, Nishika. The In Focus show takes a little bit more of a deep dive into the lives, history, background and aspirations of our guests. And we talk a little bit about the things beyond their love and pursuit in sporting pursuits. But this time we'll be interviewing the lovely Victoria Jessman as our guest today. She's a force in the pool as a multi-class athlete and we'll be getting to know a little bit more about her today. So I'm super excited to interviewing you today how are you feeling firstly thank you for have for having me I'm feeling great (laughs) yeah um no lovely to have you here um I've known Victoria for a while because we used to swim together so she's obviously become an amazing athlete and also has been great in other pursuits in her life as well so I'm really excited to learn a little bit more about you, dive into like the little nooks and crannies of what your sporting experience was like, but then also what your life is like now. So let us get into it. So let's get into your sports backgrounds. Tell us about your swimming journey. How did it all start? So I was nine when I first kind of, no, sorry, eight when I first started swimming. Not properly. It was something my mother and I used to do as like a thing to kind of bond over and we're at Sutherland pool going up and down. And I remember like, cause we were trying to prepare for the school carnival. Like that was like the first year you could and, you know, just to have a go. And um, yeah. So then I started competing at the school carnival. I loved it. Did zone and all that. It was all exciting. And then I was so eager to do it again for next year. And, you know, so after like the following year, it was about like 10 and one of the coaches who was actually now my coach now, um, he kind of pulled us aside and originally said, oh, hey, so, you know, you can't really be coaching a swimmer <laughs> without like an official like coach from this pool, you know, I, but you're doing really well. Like I recommend you join our squad program. So um, I was too young to join his squad, obviously, because <laughs> he had like national guys, <laughs> but I um, joined like their junior squad. And that's how I started. Um, yeah, I was going up and down and yeah. And I kept developing throughout like teenage years. So we did like state, like through the school system and then like through Speedo State. And then towards the end of high school, I was starting to do like metros as well. I did metros, you know, but like properly <laughs> state open. And then I did Nats um, for both uni and like um like swimming Australia nationals I think by 2019 I was I got to represent Australia at global games and then I got selected onto the um Australian National Paralympic um development squad which is like the junior Australian team for para swimmers so we got to kind of like um compete and travel a bit around Australia doing training camps and originally in 2020 we were meant to go to Italy to race but pandemic happened and so unfortunately we couldn't really go and I remember I was also training up for my first um, trials to try and get into Tokyo and that, that also got delayed until 2021. Um, very close, I had a few finals 
Um, unfortunately, just missed the qualifying time. <laughs> I was recently at the World Trial Selection a few months ago. A similar situation <laughs> happened there too. So, like, they take um, top two, and then you also have to make the Australian qualifying time. So I'd rank high enough, but I, I kept missing the qualifying time for the Australian standards. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. It was, I, I tell you that I am my freestyle leg got me in the end. Oh, it's always the freestyle leg. <laughs> it really is. I was watching it on Amazon, like on the Prime thing. I was re-watching it when I got back in Sydney and I had the time up until the freestyle leg. Oh, no. We always have that one, like, weak leg though, right? Okay, so for non-swimmers, uh, do you want to give us a little bit of like what the hierarchy is for qualifying? So, for example, what Metro is, what state is, nationals, and then that sort of thing. So um, Metro's is kind of like a Sydney region kind of competition where like just your metropolitan area um, kind of race each other. State includes like all of New South Wales and you all race together race against each other um nationals is all of australia and a lot of the time like as we get to travel a bit and you can kind of you know go into state and see different different pools it's that's really exciting actually um and then you've got other international events like, like i did global games which for multi-class athletes is like a it's an international competition where you're like prepping to try and get into the next like paralympics so or everyone that's like either really established or like they're trying to get in they're all racing each other for like practice it kind of gives an indication as to how the Paralympics are going to go <laughs> and then you get other things like the trials to try and get into um, the Olympics or Paralympics or Commonwealth Games and to try and qualify for those you need to rank top two in Australia and so the international committees so for us we have the International Paralympic Committee they have their set of standard times and then Australia has their own set of standard times. They're usually a bit faster, <laughs> I guess, because they're trying to make sure that whoever goes through in theory should do well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. But like it gives you that little bit of like insight into how the world of swimming works, I guess, because it's so different, right? Well, yeah, it's like at one point my 100 fly, for example, um, Nationally in Australia, I ranked fourth, so I wasn't fast enough to qualify, but internationally I actually ranked eighth. That's crazy. Yeah. No, that's yeah. amazing. So it was, it was interesting to see that's like the amount of talent Australia actually has in our class and how competitive it is. It was kind of, it was cool to kind of see that because I remember I was like, you get like your world rankings um, posted every year and reviewed. And based on your world rankings, you can get selected onto certain camps and squads. And they kind of provide scholarships based on that way as well. So for a period of time, I was an Institute of Sports Scholar. And it was because of the rankings that that they, like I was provided internationally, yeah. That's so cool. Um, so tell us about your experience on these squads, for example. They were really eye-opening. So like um, you, they've... Um, they do a lot of training mostly, it's just a, mostly a lot of swimming, but you get to meet a lot of really, really cool people at the same time. So I remember flying back from one of these camps that was held in Melbourne. I got to sit on the plane with Ellie Cole 
Wow. Like right next to her. And we were chatting the whole way back. She was lovely. Uh, I've I've gotten to race her as well, but like being able to spend time with her outside of the pool was actually really, really nice. Um, You also like, they kind of go through a lot of preparation because like when you go to these big meets, um, like especially the international ones, they have policies like phone usage policies where you can't use your phone for certain times of the day. Even so like contact friends and family, you can't do it during certain times of the day. So they kind of, they introduce you to that. They have like nutritionists come in and they talk to you. Um, they kind of also start prepping you for like interviews. If you were to do like an interview after a race or if you get drug tested after a race, <laughs> they kind of walk you through like what your rights are and how you kind of work like through like knowing if it's a safe setting and what you need to do. And it, was, it was really good. Yeah. <laughs> That's so much like good insight, especially like a lot of insight that we normally wouldn't get into the behind the scenes work of what really goes into being an athlete, which would be so cool to experience, right? Yeah. Well, it's like knowing like how to answer sensitive questions as well. I hadn't even thought about it at the time. And I was like, oh, and then I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's the little things like that, like things you wouldn't normally think about. But then suddenly you're like, oh, these are actually really important. Exactly. And I was like, this is actually really interesting because I was like, I I hadn't even thought about it. And then I was like, oh, well, wait, (laughs) I'm going to make this. (laughs) Oh, yeah, of course. Especially if you end end up on the world stage, for example, and a lot of media PR, all that is in your face. You really have to know how to control yourself and make sure that you're saying the right things and not exactly. saying I look at this whole spiel now with like Kyle Chalmers and all that like I feel yeah. so bad for the guy and it's just like one reporter that's unfortunately doing that to him I'm like I feel bad for him I'm sorry <laughs> no I get it though it's hard yeah and it's like I- your reputation as well and you're like oh my goodness for sure exactly it's things like this where you get like you get to understand what could really go wrong if something happens if someone has different intentions it's always interesting yeah it, it was something I wasn't really prepared for it when it, before I went and then once it happened I was happy that I had that discussion <laughs> oh yeah no that like oh uh, it's such good insight mm. so why is sport such an important part of your life to you actually for me it was the mental health aspect of it so like I started swimming when I was in a very, very bad place. I was also undiagnosed at the time. So I I guess for reference, I I have um, Asperger's syndrome. So before we understood that, I was getting very stressed out, very depressed because of like, you know, when you're younger, like you're you're struggling to make friends and it was just that added thing on top. I couldn't deal with the environment I was in very well with either because of, you know, just certain, you know, stimulations and things like that. And so swimming became like an outlet that I could kind of control a lot of those things. And if I was feeling stressed out, having like being in the water and not having to hear anything for me was very desensitizing and it helped me kind of calm down. (laughs) Um, And it's carried now, like I've noticed, even if I have a few weeks off, if I'm sick or whatever, or for work I needed to take time off um my mental health just plummets and the ability to kind of 
deal with things becomes a lot harder when I'm not exercising or I'm not swimming. Also, like the skills and like the drive you get once you once you get to like one stepping stone and you want to keep building, it's kind of intoxicating once you start because you want to keep going. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You want to push your boundaries and see like how far can you go, right? What can I actually like how far can I actually go with this? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the thing. You want to know exactly what you can achieve and get to where you can get live up to your full potential. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so speaking of potential, tell us about some of your biggest achievements. I think my biggest one was I made a final at Global Games, two finals. Wow. Um, one of them was 200 backstroke, racing right next in the lay next to the world record holder. <laughs> That would have been an experience. I was very nervous. <laughs> like she was renowned across my classification for being, she's like the Michael Phelps of my classification. <laughs> That's insane. And so well, like I was very nervous and she's like six foot Russian, intimidating, like lovely girl, but I felt intimidated. <laughs> of course. Because I was like, you're incredible and who am I? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I remember racing in the lane next to her. And I think I, I, I ranked fourth in the end of that in the final and top five or broke the game's record. That's insane. Actually, it went under her name because it was like she came first. But I think the fact that I was able to do that, I think I even broke an Australian record at that, like an open record, but another Australian <laughs> She was also an incredible backstroker. Um, she also outranked me, so she got that title too. <laughs> but but still, at least you got that experience. Yeah, I was like, the fact that I could do that, and that was my first really big me. I was, I was very excited to have that happen. Yeah, congratulations! That's an amazing achievement. That's like yeah. honestly a milestone. <laughs> I remember I came out and I couldn't actually breathe. <laughs> I was just like. I, I think I stood on deck for like a good 20 minutes and I was like lactic acid because you know when you do backstroke and it's the second hundred and your legs just want to fall off I couldn't stand up at the end of that oh my gosh well it was worth it yeah it was it was definitely worth it I was just oh my goodness I was so dead but worth it yeah for sure oh my gosh so going back to the reason why you started swimming how it helped you so give us a little bit more um insight into how that impacted your swimming career I guess so if it was um there to alleviate some of the issues or maybe challenges you faced with your Asperger's did that help and did that impact the sport later on definitely like I think the for me personally the noise desensitization it helped me like I said before control a lot of things outside of the water and it also it wore me out a bit so my other things like you know if I went for a morning swim I was tired like not exhausted but I didn't have as much like anxious energy because I was too tired (laughs) to have anxious energy throughout the day so it kind of balanced out a bit. I think as well, like at that point in my life when I first started, again, being undiagnosed, learning, it's always been a struggle, but it was particularly hard when I was a lot younger because I, w- I didn't have access to the resources that I needed to learn properly. 
risks. Like my grades were slipping really bad. I had teachers suggesting to repeat years at one point. And so I think for me, like knowing like that I was good at something that was just outside of school, it made me feel like I had, like I was worth something, not like that, you know, like, but I felt I had something to feel good about because there was something I was progressing well in and I enjoyed. Yeah. So I think that's what really helped with my mental health a lot. Yeah. (laughs) It makes such a difference, right? Like that one little glimmer of hope. Yeah. It was something that I wasn't hopeless at. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what age did you get diagnosed at? I was 15 when I got diagnosed. Wow. So you'd been swimming for quite a while at that point, right? Yeah. So I technically started full-on squad training when I was 11. And then, yeah, I got diagnosed at 15. A lot of, um, it's interesting because a lot of female pe- females with Asperger's, they get diagnosed a lot later because they don't present the typical symptoms that a lot of books um, show because a lot of the books are generally directed at males who have Asperger's, which are a lot more obvious. So like symptoms like aggression and how they talk, like, it's, it's a lot more obvious than women yeah so that's why it was it took a long time to get diagnosed (laughs) yeah of course but I guess like how did that impact say your understanding of the sport then once you had been diagnosed and also your understanding of yourself I think with the sport it didn't really affect it at first because for a while I was still swimming as an able-bodied athlete and I was aware that I could transition over it was more so that I wanted to, now that I had been diagnosed, I wanted to focus on school first before I transitioned over to multi-class sports. Cause I knew once I started, it would get more full on and I needed to focus on catching up on all those years of learning. <laughs> of <First>. course. <laughs> but I still trained and raced as an able-bodied athlete for a while. With training and that, I think understanding why there was a lot of miscommunication between my coach and I because for me like auditory memory okay so like a coach would tell me like five two hundreds and you give me like an order I wouldn't remember the order very well and so I'd have to keep asking him to repeat and sometimes it would frustrate certain coaches of course (laughs) and like between that and having poor eyesight and not being able to read the board it was just it was a nightmare so once I got diagnosed and I could explain that to a coach they could understand why I kept forgetting what they were telling me. It wasn't because I was intentionally not listening. It was because like, I just didn't have that. I couldn't just, I just couldn't do it. (laughs) And it made training a lot easier for me after that. Yeah. How did you guys find ways around that then? So coach now, he usually has a multi-class lane because I train with athletes who are already on the Australian team. We have our own personalized sets and he writes them out for us and puts them on deck and we just get to see them. Cause like, it's, you know, something I can hold, I can just see it. And then, yeah, we just, we just move on with our program really. And if I need to ask him anything, he's always there to help me with that. Yeah. I'm glad that you were able to like find ways to make it easier for you. And then also being in this environment where it's not so able body focused and they cater towards everyone's needs. Like, do you think yeah. that you- found a difference between those sorts of things I think once I switched coaches so from the last one I had to now there was a massive difference the 
coach that I currently have, he is a qualified multi-class coach as well. So there was, there was a massive difference in how he coached. I don't remember another coach asking me, are you feeling okay? You good, you good. And he wouldn't just say it like really quickly. He'd pull you aside during the set and say, are you feeling good? Are you okay? Not because you were performing badly, but because he wanted to make sure that, you know, your mental health's all right and that if he can do anything to help, he's going to do it. <laughs> and he always checks before I like do a main set. If I can reiterate what he's saying so I can repeat it, he knows that I've absorbed that information too. Yeah, that experience must be so different, especially because this coach has the experience and the understanding backing him or her. Yeah. So yeah. at that point, that it makes it a little bit easier for you, right? Yeah. And he has all, like, it's not just a couple. He's been coaching multi-class Paralympians nearly since the time of Ian Thorpe, like ones that have medaled. Um, so the guy I train with now, he medaled in the S9 400-meter freestyle at Tokyo. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So he's he's got a lot of experience. And then a mate of mine, he's now retired. He's won gold before at London too. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. And, like, and he was like actually got referred on to him by my, that friend because he's also in the same class as me. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was good though. It was good. He's yeah, there's a distinctive difference because the coach I had before, he was very able-bodied centered. And so a lot of conflicts would arise between me and the other coach because of things like that. And it was a lot of it was misunderstanding and not being able to communicate, but also not being provided the opportunity <laughs> to um, share that information. <laughs> of course. Yeah. It's hard, especially when like I assume the other coach hadn't had much experience with multi-class swimmers, right? Or if they had, then they wouldn't have that knowledge and understanding of years and years of working with multi-class swimmers. Yeah. Build up their base. Yeah. And I think that was, that was the main source of problems that I had with the other coach. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. No, it's always hard, but at least you get some of those experiences and you're in a much better place now, I hope. Yeah, exactly. It's good now, definitely. Yeah, for sure. So what about, since we've been talking about some of the challenges, what do you think has been your biggest challenge as an athlete so far? I think it wasn't so much when I was younger, but I think being a mature athlete and someone that's like a bit older, knowing where the line is between having advice from a coach and a controlling coach or whether it's a coach or an organization like where's the line between having your peak performance to just complete control over your body essentially and I think navigating that's been the biggest challenge so it can come down to like your diet how you sleep how you study how you train and I think one thing I've learned is the one source with more experience, the best source that you can get from is yourself and to listen to your body. Cause essentially, you know, your body better than anyone. Like once you're a bit older, <laughs> obviously with health advice, <laughs> but <laughs> like, if it comes to whether you need recovery or not, like if you feel like you really, it means your body needs it kind of thing. Or if you need to, 
do a session because you feel like you don't, you know. <laughs> yeah. Of course. No, and once you've like learnt the rhythm of your body and you are able to start setting those boundaries, then like, if you have a good relationship, for example, with your coach, then it makes such a difference. Yeah, exactly. Especially like, yeah, if the conversation's open to having like to having that and the environment is supportive of sharing that information, that's, that's what you want is ideal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I feel like that's such um, a common athlete experience to struggle in the environment, especially when you don't have, when you feel either the support system isn't very supportive or very receptive to your needs. It's always such a struggle. Yeah, especially like it's because it's a commitment that it's not like once a week. It's when you're training at your peak, you could be like 10 sessions a week. It's like about 20 hours a week, part-time job. <laughs> and well, I mean, when you think about it, you never really switch off because then everything you do outside of training counts to training. So it's it adds up, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And just the fact that it's such a big part of your life because it takes over so many aspects, right? Because you have to fit everything around your sport rather than working towards fitting your sport around your life yeah I think it becomes like your prioritization like if you're prioritizing sport like in progressing it means making everything else work around that and like vice versa (laughs) otherwise it doesn't work (laughs) oh yeah no of course not it's always hard um so tell us a little bit about what your work life is like your career uni that sort of thing tell us a little bit about that so um as like you know we work together I um work as a lifeguard at a pool and so I've recently started um like moving up and becoming a duty manager um so at the moment we've been dealing with a lot of staff shortages so I've been working quite a bit (laughs) um just to cover the hours at the moment with uni I've started my master of pharmacy so like I'm kind of hoping that I can become a registered pharmacist by the end once I pass my board exams. <laughs> um, I kind of want to use that to move into clinical trials like and research into clinical trial work. So it implements my undergraduate degree as with my clinical knowledge from my postgraduate degree. <laughs> yeah. That's so with, yeah. How did you decide that you wanted to do these sorts of things actually? Like were you just interested or? I was always interested in drug development and research. I um, I always wanted to do, I was considering applying to do my PhD at the end of my undergrad um, after I did like this internship where we developed this chemotherapy agent. Um, but one of these professors, one of my professors, he was telling me that like with the, the saturation, like their job availability for that very niche field was very small. If I only had this degree, that if I could still work in that kind of sector, but I needed to do it more from a clinical perspective and to kind of pick a degree that if there's no work available for that point in time, I can very easily transition into something else and then come back to it. And so, because I enjoyed understanding like medicine and how it worked, how it affected the body. That's why I was like, you know, I, and also I I guess as well, like working in a community-based setting now, I really enjoyed interacting with people. I also didn't want to spend all my time in a lab (laughs) where you don't see the sun. (laughs) Um, I realized that 
like something like being a pharmacist was probably the best option for me because there's a lot of flexibility but you also get to work in a community and provide like information like your medicine specialist essentially you can provide that support to a community of people yeah of course it's always so interesting to hear how people come across their potential fields of work for example especially because you've been studying for a while now to get into this position so (laughs) (laughs) you poor thing but um how have you found for example studying and then also balancing being an athlete and working I think it was challenging in the very beginning um I learned to become very strict on my time management skills (laughs) because I knew if I didn't like work around like or find a way to make the schedules work it nothing would work out um so for me like I you know like I usually swim in the mornings for example because I know that nothing's going to start at five in the morning (laughs) so I could get away with doing all these morning swims and then going to the gym at the end of the day outside at any point in time because that would that could be flexible that was in my own time and then it could work around uni. And then with work, it would be whenever I could. <laughs> I usually used to work a lot of weekends because that was when I was most free. Um, and you try and study as much as you can. <laughs> Sometimes on the train because <laughs> you need to do it at some point. <laughs> but no, like being very strict and like setting out blocks and like even like tiny little goals to like make it seem less intimidating, I found helped a lot too. That's always really good. And that's something I'm assuming you learned from both school and through swimming, right? Goal setting, yeah. I feel like a very important aspect. I, yeah. I think also like coming from like an athlete's perspective, like, and you would know this, like the discipline that you get because of like the training, like you have to be very disciplined in how you train. That skill gets transferred into how you study, how you like go about doing tasks in your like day to day. Because, you know, if you don't get it done, it won't get done. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, that's really, that helps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, always so essential. Um, what other skills do you think you've developed through both your swimming and then also just how you've progressed through life? What do you think are some really essential skills that you've developed? I think, um, well, through swimming, I think knowing like how to like channel ambition like because like you know like not only like knowing how to get like how do you use it to an advantage rather than saying oh I like this idea I want to do it like how do I actually use it (laughs) yeah like time management skills communication I felt was really important especially as I got older so when I was dealing with more health problems or trying to communicate my work schedule or uni schedule to my coach or you know if you have coaches from like that represents me in Australia and you're you're telling them what's going on with your training schedule and having a meeting with them. I think being able to communicate that across and being assertive and saying, it's like, this is happening. And like, how do I go about this? Or I'm not okay with this. (laughs) Next time on the In Focus show, we keep the questions rolling and bring to you part two of our interview. it, It made everything worth it. It made me feel like I had direction and that I could actually be what 
people like some people were saying I've never been some people were saying I could be and I was like I can actually do this <laughs> you have been listening to Mojo Sports thank you for your support it is very much appreciated the team and I are trying to build something a little different here so everyone's support is very much appreciated continue to support the podcast download subscribe check out our social media channels give us a follow and be sure to tell your friends about Australia's best kept secret this is Mojo Sports